What's going down, Far, Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars in 10. So how's everybody doing on this wonderful Friday? Well, hopefully it's wonderful for you because in a couple of hours, I will be meeting with the neurologist to find out the results of my test. And honestly, I'm super scared. So wish me luck. But first, we got a story to get to. So let's get to the show by dropping the intro. <laughs> Well, you have. You are now tuned in to a Star Wars show, so just sit back and be ready to flow. Clear your mind of what you know, and let the Force be the course of where we go. As we take this journey far, far away, now let's hear what Darth Vader has to say. We would be honored if you would join us. A soft beep from the console alerted Bane that the Triumph was at last approaching its final destination. The journey to Prakith had taken longer than he'd anticipated. Travel into the Deep Core was always dangerous. The densely packed stars and black holes at the galaxy's heart created gravity wells capable of warping the space-time continuum. Under such extreme conditions, hyperspace lanes were unstable, shifting or even collapsing without warning. The last known route to Prakith had collapsed nearly 500 years ago, and nobody had bothered to plot a new one since. This happened frequently with worlds in the Deep Core, if they weren't rich in resources or mineral deposits, the dangers of trying to find new hyperspace lanes simply didn't justify the effort. In the centuries since the collapse of the hyperlanes, Prakith had basically been forgotten by the rest of the Republic. Even travel from nearby systems was risky, and Bane expected to find a planet that had stagnated after being cut off from the rest of society. Interplanetary trade was the lifeblood of galactic culture. Without it, populations dwindled, and technology levels tended to regress to varying degrees. Prakith's isolation had also allowed the Jedi to effectively purge all mentions of Darth Andedu and his followers from galactic records, though Prakith itself was still mentioned in a handful of older sources. Bane had compiled all the known sources, including several hopelessly out-of-date navigational charts, in the hope of relocating the Lost World. It wasn't impossible to travel through unmapped hyperlanes, but it was both slow and dangerous. Bane was forced to plot and replot his course multiple times, making hundreds of small jumps, moving from one star to its nearby neighbors, picking and choosing from a list of potential hyperspace routes generated by the Triumph's state-of-the-art nav computer. Despite being the best program credits could buy, the computer was far from foolproof. It operated on probabilities and theoretical assumptions derived from previously reported data and complex astrogational measurements made on the fly. There was no way to predict the stability or inherent safety of a given route until a ship charted it by going through. As a result, each stage of the journey had the potential to end in disaster. Traveling through uncharted space was more art than science, and Bain relied as much on his instincts as the mathematical calculations of the nav computer. By sticking to shorter jumps, he prolonged the journey, but he was able to minimize the risk of the Triumph being torn apart by an unexpected gravity well or being crushed out of existence by a collapsing hyperlane. This wasn't the first time he had braved the perils of the Deep Core. Ten years ago, he had traveled to the lost world of Tython to reclaim the holocron of Balia Darzu. The fact that he was now going to Prakith to retrieve another holocron, this one created by Darth Andedu, didn't strike him as mere coincidence, however. What the ignorant dismissed as chance or random luck was often the work of the Force. Some chose to call it destiny or fate, though these terms were far too simple to convey the subtle yet far-reaching influence it wielded. 
the force was alive. It permeated the very fabric of the universe, flowing through every living creature. An energy that touched and influenced all living things, its currents, both light and dark, ebbed and flowed, shaping the patterns of existence. Bain had spent a lifetime studying these patterns, and he had come to realize that they could be manipulated and exploited. He had come to understand that as the power of the dark side waned, the talismans created by the ancient Sith tended to become lost. But in time, the cycle would turn, and as the power of the dark side waxed full, the chance for these lost treasures to be found again would bubble up to the surface. During these windows of opportunity, all that was required was an individual with the wisdom to recognize them and the strength to take action. Bane had mastered these talents, yet he wasn't sure if he could say the same of his apprentice. Xana was smart and cunning, and her powers in the dark side might even be greater than his own. But did she have the vision to guide the Sith through the invisible tides of history as they rose and fell? He wondered how her investigation on Doan was progressing. He had hoped to return to Seutric before her, but he had underestimated the difficulty of navigating through the core. By the time he had got back, it was likely she would already be there waiting for him. She would realize he had sent her away as a distraction, and she would be expecting betrayal on his return. The confrontation he had been anticipating would finally come to pass. The nav console beeped again, and the view outside the cockpit changed from the blinding white field of hyperspace to reveal the Prax system a small red sun surrounded by five tiny planets. Taking manual control of his vessel, Bane descended on the third, a forbidding world largely covered by active volcanoes, burning lakes of magma, and dark fields of sulfuric ash. As he entered the atmosphere, the scanners picked up several small cities scattered across the inhospitable surface. The nearest was several hundred kilometers to the north, but Bane turned his ship in the opposite direction, heading for the vast mountain range that ran east-west along the planet's equator. He didn't know whether Andedu's cult still existed or not, but from the moment he had come out of hyperspace, he had been confident their stronghold still survived. He could feel its presence on the surface of the world, a nexus of dark side energy pulsing like a beacon from the heart of the mountains. As he drew closer, the ship detected a small settlement on the edge of the range. Surprisingly, an automated landing beacon was emitting a signal on standard channels. That meant there was still an active spaceport, though it was probably used by shuttles traveling from one location on the planet's surface to another, rather than visitors from off-world. Bane's theory was confirmed when he brought his shuttle in to touch down at the small landing pad on the edge of the settlement. The only other person on site was an old man sitting in a chair outside a small, dilapidated customs booth. He watched curiously as Bane emerged from the ship, but made no effort to rise. Don't see too many visitors lately, he said as Bane approached. You from Gallia? From his research, Bane knew that Gallia was one of Prakith's larger cities. The man was assuming he was a native of Prakith. The idea that someone from outside their system would come to visit obviously hadn't even crossed his mind. That's right, Bane said, seeing no reason to complicate the situation by revealing the truth. I flew in from Gallia. I'm looking for information on Darth Andedu's followers. 
The man leaned forward in his chair and spat on the ground. We don't like to talk about them. He fixed Bane with a suspicious stare, spat again, then sat back in his chair and crossed his arms defiantly. I got nothing else to say to you. Go back to Gallia. You aren't welcome here. Bane could have pressed the issue, but he saw no benefit in intimidating or torturing an insignificant, irritable old man. Instead, he turned away and began walking in the direction of the buildings on the horizon. He was confident that someone there would be willing to tell him what he wanted to know. A few hours later, Bane was back in his shuttle armed with the information he needed. Despite the old man's declaration, he'd found people were only too eager to share what they knew about the strange, insular cult deep in the neighboring mountains. It was clear that Andedu's followers were still active. Occasionally, some of them even came into the small town in need of supplies. It was also clear that the people in the mountain village regarded their mysterious neighbors with a combination of fear and loathing. I am so happy we are back to Bane. He has always been my favorite Star Wars character. Even though there's nothing exciting happening in this part, as soon as Bane is brought up, you know it's going to get better. And I think that's it for today. We will be back this Monday for the next part. Hope to see you there. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Star Wars Intent. Tune in next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on all major podcast directories. If you enjoyed the show, we would really appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Star Wars in 10 was created by Keen Eye Shed and is distributed by Swaycast Network. This show was produced by Pigfield Media, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Leslie Schneider. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>